hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of the Just Asia podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be doing things a little bit different, but moving forward, something that won't be a little bit different. This is going to be a storytelling episode. That's right. It won't be the regular day in the life type or a week in the life type episode, um, but have no fear that will be coming soon in just a few days. But what I want to do is every once in a while, slow down and share a little story with you. That's right. I have been living in Asia for 21 years, and I have a lot of stories to tell. So my name is Kevin O'Shea, and I am a Canadian who lives and works in Asia. I live here with my family. I have been in Asia for 21 years, if this is your first time listening to the Just Asia podcast. So uh, I work as an international educator. I have worked in South Korea, Japan, and currently I am in China, and I am ending six years in China and will be soon moving to Malaysia. So this is a podcast. It's all about living a life as a foreign citizen in all these different countries. It's about travel. It's about food. It's about raising a family. It's about gardening, living the best life possible. It's also about stories. I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. Once upon a time, I used to share a lot of these stories in blog format back in the days before YouTube, um, before vlogging, before podcasting. And from time to time, I want to share a story with you. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be sharing a story of something that happened to me all the way back in 2002. That's right, 21 years ago. And this story takes place in Beijing, China. And it's all about the time I got scammed. I got really scammed. And I didn't even know I was being scammed until later on. I guess soon after it happened, I kind of figured I was scammed, but it wasn't until later on in life. Okay, so let's set the stage. In 2002, I moved to South Korea from Canada to work as an English teacher in a hagwon, which is a language school. A lot of young Canadians and people from around the world chose to do that and still do. Um, It was basically going to be a gap year of sorts for me. I was working in the high-tech industry in Canada. It was right after the internet bubble, but I was doing well. I was working in the game development industry as a 3D modeler. And um, I had lived a life with very little adventure, to be honest. I'd never had the opportunity to travel internationally, to do a lot of things that many of my friends and colleagues had done. I never had the chance to get a working holiday visa and backpack around Europe or backpack around the UK, to be a bartender for the summer in Ireland. These are things that a lot of my friends did, and I was always forever painfully jealous. I used to sit Um, In the evenings at home uh, in Moncton, New Brunswick, where I was living and working at the time, drinking beer with my roommates and watching episodes of the Lonely Planet travel show, wishing that I could visit those far-flung places in the world, when I had the opportunity to become an English teacher. So I took that opportunity. I took what would be a year off of my career to move to far-off Asia and work as a teacher. And after a year, the plan was to come back to Canada and resume my career in the high-tech sector. Well, that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, 21 years, later, here, 21 years later, here I still am. Now, how did this story happen? Well, you know, there was several countries that were kind of on my Asia bucket list when I first came to South Korea. So once I was in South Korea, I was, of course, a lot closer to other countries in Asia than in Canada. It was a great jumping-off point for travel. And that's one of the... One of the things that really kind of shines to those who are seeking adventure um, to, to come to, to Japan or to Korea or, or other countries in Asia to teach English um, 
it's a place where they can travel and see a lot of different countries. So um, I came to South Korea in uh, February of twenty or two thousand and two, and the first destination I went to was with a group of other teachers from my school. And that July, July of two thousand and two, I went to Vietnam and had a fantastic trip, um, and it was a great time. <clears throat> now got back to um, Korea, continue teaching. And there were more places I wanted to go to, and Beijing, China was one of them. Of course, I wanted to see the Forbidden City, things I'd seen in movies before. I wanted to see um, Tiananmen Square, the place of, of course, in 1989. We know that's um, infamous in history for the democracy protests and what happened there. And mind you, this is only um, 12 years, 13 years, I should say, after that happened. I wanted to see that location and many others, the Great Wall of China, all these iconic places. Now, the deal was I was going to travel to Beijing on my own, and I would be there for three or four days by myself. And then some friends of mine who were English teachers, not in my school, but in the same small satellite city of of Seoul, Korea, were going to come and meet up with me, and we would continue traveling together for the remainder of this week and a half holiday. So... What I decided to do on one blistery cold morning, and this would have been in uh, after Christmas, so late, very end of of December, um, going into the new year. Um, I think it was maybe December 29th or 30th, something like that. I decided to head to Tiananmen Square, and I did that with a Lonely Planet book in hand, and I believe I took the subway there. Now, at the time, of course, this is 2002. Um, there was no YouTube to watch travel bloggers about travel in China. Um, the, the, the resources were limited digitally, okay? And, and a, a Lonely Planet guidebook was basically the best resource you were going to have. Um, there were some travel blogs, but not a lot at the time. So I got there, and it was a freezing day. Now, I had bought um, a lot of really warm winter clothes in Itaewon in Seoul before I left. Now, Itaewon at the time was a big kind of foreign shopping eating area. It was near a big U.S. Army base in downtown Seoul called Yongsan Main Post. And it was a place that was normally filled with um, American soldiers, people trying to sell things to American soldiers, and lots of scams happening there at the time, too. Um, Maybe more stories can come from that place in the future. Um, But I bought a big warm winter jacket there and winter gear. Um, It really wasn't that cold back at the time in Seoul, but it was much colder in Beijing. So I was prepared, and it was just bloody cold, I remember. And I got to Tiananmen Square early one weekday morning, and there were very few tourists around, very few of anyone, um, because it was absolutely freezing. I'm pretty sure it was close to minus 20 at the time. So I'm there, I'm looking around, and to be honest, it's just, it's a huge square. I mean, many communist countries have them, a huge square where parades would happen and this and that, military parades. And um, I took some pictures and looked around. And then what happened is a couple of very polite, nice, friendly, young Chinese women approached me and started speaking to me in English. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that this might be something fishy. Um, They asked me where I was from and what I was doing in China. And I told them I'm from Canada. I'm traveling here. I'm a tourist. And they started striking up small talk with me and and showing me some different things or talking to me, telling me a little bit about the history of the place. And then they said, hey, you know, it's pretty cold outside. And they, they explained to me that they were university students. They were art students. They were art majors. 
and a friend of theirs had a gallery nearby and they were doing an art exhibition for university students and would I like to come along and see? Now, I had no idea that anything might be amiss. I had no idea. Remember, this is 2002. There's nothing out there to warn me about this. And I am by myself. I'm a mid-20-something guy, single, by myself there. And I must have just had sucker written all over me. So I follow these two friendly young women for quite a distance away from Tiananmen Square um, into um, kind of a, an area with like kind of houses and hutongs and down some streets and this and that. And this art gallery kind of surprised me because they brought me into this building. And this art gallery was essentially just a room. And it was a room that was probably 15 feet by 25 feet with lots of calligraphy hanging. And there was a man sitting in there. Um, maybe a couple of men who were sitting drinking tea, and um, this room had no windows. And it I'd never seen an art gallery that quite looked like this. <coughs> you know, I think art gallery, I think of a fancy place, not a room with no windows. Well, immediately they started showing me different pieces of artwork, mostly calligraphy, and explaining the meaning and did I like it? And showing me, like, well, this one here is like this price. And this bigger one is this price. And all of a sudden, high pressure sales tactics kick in. <clears throat> and I realize, wait a second, they're, they're just trying to sell me stuff. Well, naive as I was, and I was in China to buy souvenirs and knickknacks that I could bring home and eventually bring back to Canada to show my mom and my dad and my brother and all of my friends and family that, look, I've spent time having adventures in the Orient and look at this great artwork I have and this calligraphy that I really don't understand what it means, but I have this. And well, I ended up leaving that air quotes art gallery with five or six pieces of air quotes art. And I can't remember to this day how much I paid, but I'm sure they, they milked me of a lot more than I should have paid. Milked and built me. Um, and I left and, um, you know, I don't think it really clicked for some time that I had been scammed. <laughs> Um, but I had been. And this was apparently one of the biggest Beijing scams that there are. So that was 2002. Several years later, I meet my Japanese wife and she sees some of this artwork hanging in my apartment. She's like, Kevin, what's this? This, this kind of doesn't make sense. And why do you have this hanging here? I remember she didn't like it. She said, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. So I took it down and I no longer have that stuff. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Kevin scammed in Beijing. Now, years later, um, you know, YouTube becomes a thing. I become a YouTuber. Um, but years and years later, you know, um, you know, of course, I was heavily involved with the Japan YouTube scene, the J-Vlog scene. Uh, but, you know, I'm now, of course, in China. And I'm just wrapping up my time. Just a couple of months left in China before we leave. And before I got here um, six years ago, there were a few um, YouTubers who I checked out who were really the only ones that were active here. And that would be Serpensa and uh, Laowai. 76, 78. Eh. Um, now, Serpensa lived here in Shenzhen, where I live now. And uh, he made a, a video about six years ago called Beijing Scam City. And in that video, he talks about all the, the big scams that happen, uh, that people scam tourists with, the most common tourist scams. And that happens a lot in places like in, in Asia and tourist destinations. Um, it's probably less likely to happen in a place like Japan and pretty much would almost never happen. But in other places that are more developing, you know, people want to make a buck and if they can take advantage of someone to take a, make a buck, they will. Um, and uh, one of the more common scams in Beijing would be something similar to the one I fell prey to. 
And, uh, you know, he mentions in, in one of his vlogs that normally Chinese people don't just walk up to foreigners and start speaking English. It normally doesn't happen. And that is true. I've been living here for six years now, and it's pretty rare that someone would just walk up to you and start to speak to you in English, especially where I live in Shenzhen. Shenzhen is not a tourist destination. It's not a tourist city. They don't have those iconic locations like Tiananmen Square or, um, you know, the Summer Palace or the Temple of Heaven. So they don't have those scams happening here. Now, it probably would happen if you went shopping at an electronics market. I'm sure people would be very happy to take advantage of you and and probably sell you fake things and, and this and that. But, um, you know, he basically said if people, if, if people walk up to you and they're really friendly and they speak to you in English and start asking you lots of questions and then ask you to leave with them and to go somewhere with them, that's a red flag. The warning bell should be going off. Ding, 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 ding. Um, don't follow them because they're going to take advantage of you. Now, in my case, nothing really bad happened. I spent probably a little bit of money that I did have. I had the disposable income. They didn't, I don't feel that they like ripped me off or really stole from me. But in some cases, people do find themselves getting into hot water and some pretty uncomfortable situations and maybe losing a lot of money. Um, actually, do when I do think about it, uh, there are scams that do happen in places like Japan, but in the night districts, places like Rapungi and stuff, the seedier areas at night, if you go out drinking and stuff, if you're drinking at night. Now, I don't drink. I don't go out and do that kind of stuff. So I'm not, it's, it's not something I'm worried about. Um, but you know, I guess we got to be careful everywhere. Um, in the abroad in Japan podcast, I heard some tales of some scams now that I think about it in Japan, but they happen to kind of tend to revolve around the nightlife and drinking and people, you know, slipping, uh, Mickey's in your drinks and, and, and then stealing your credit cards or your, your bank cards and making you withdraw money, that kind of thing while you're under the influence. So you always have to be careful in situations like that. Again, um, I don't drink anymore. I don't go out in places like that. Um, haven't in more than 20 years. So I don't find myself in those kind of precarious situations. Um, but yeah, so uh, I just want to share this travel story with you, me getting scammed in Beijing 21 years ago. Um, and it was just so funny um, a few years back watching that Serpensa YouTube video about Beijing Scam City. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I told my son, Kai, I'm like, I got dinged with a scam like that 21 years ago. And I told him all about it. And now I'm telling you about it. So there you go, guys. Episode number four of the Just Asia podcast. Thank you for listening. Of course, go check out our Facebook page at Just Japan Stuff. So it's facebook.com slash Just Japan Stuff. Um, go over there, check it out. There's, I'm, I'm posting a lot of photos and things over there. Um, also, go follow me on Twitter at J, not Twitter, on Instagram at JLandKev. All these links will be below here, will be below here. And on Twitter, of course, at Mad from Maple. Go check out all the links below here in the podcast show notes. Lots of stuff there. Uh, there will be a regular day, week, week in the life. Life in Asia podcast episode coming your way in just a few days. Have no fear. Have no worries. So again, uh, all you guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, leave a rating. Help us grow. It's new. A lot of people coming on board. Check it out. Check the links below. Um, thank you so much for coming along and listening to my story. And there'll be plenty of stories. 21 years in Asia, 10 in Japan, 5 in Korea, 6 in China, and soon to be Malaysia. Lots of stories and lots of things to share coming your way. All right, everyone, wherever you are in the world, hope you're happy, hope you're healthy, and I'll be talking to you very soon. <laughs>